Welcome to Hour of Devastation, the weekly Magic the Gathering podcast where we talk all things Magic the Gathering. I'm your host, Joe Loudon, and with me as always is Sam Neil. Hiya. How are you doing this week, Sam? Not too bad. Good. good Got the week off work. Hey, nice. It's my first holiday from work in a, a year. Which <laughs> <laughs> I've just done the math. Literally a year. Nice. So that's nice. Um, we're going away. Uh, the end of the week for a few days to a place that isn't where I live which is terrifying but I've been assured that it will be fine <laughs> so uh, I also definitely don't have COVID again good because unfortunately one of my colleagues got COVID when we had been close to one another oh no so I I had to get tested because otherwise you know we can't travel yeah <laughs> um but I don't have COVID again. I only tested like three weeks ago. <laughs> oh, you're not symptomatic. One of the two. Uh, this is true. I mean, I do have like kind of a tight chest at the moment, but Uh-oh. I'm assuming that's still hay fever interacting with the asthma that I have. Yeah, probably. Hopefully, it's gonna be fine, right? Yeah. Um, I think it's yeah, I'm, I'm I'm doing fine. I'm just yeah. sitting and building and painting models, which is all I do with my free time now. Oh, sounds good. Good way to spend your your time off, definitely. Yeah. How you doing? Yeah, I'm fine. Very much. Very little to report myself. Um, I've also had a little bit of time off work, which has been quite nice. Um, took Friday off to watch the new Evangelion movie, and oof, that was a time. That was a time. Uh, and then just yeah, relaxed and watched some wrestling in the past two days. It's been been great fun. Great fun. Nice. It's nice to have a, a bit. Of, I mean, that you know, it, it's very very. It's not even that different from like what I do <laughs> anyway, like while I do work, but it's just been nice to have that extra bit of time to myself, a bit of, bit of time off, a bit of pressure off. It's been nice. It's been nice to just relax. Yeah, I find that I wake up at the same time because my body's used to it. Yeah, and then me too. I don't, re- I don't really do anything until the evening anyway. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it's nice to not be working. I, was, yeah. I mean, also, I like my job, so it's really not that much of a big deal <laughs> if I have time off or not. But Yeah. I mean, I, I can just piss about and not feel guilty <laughs> basically it, right? sounds good sounds yeah. good definitely sweet so have you engaged with magic much in the past week at all not even once hey. <laughs> I don't know man like I'm feeling kind of medium on magic at the moment yeah um, I don't know I'm just like I'm not because there are very few opportunities to play though we are going to be doing events again after I come back from my holiday we're doing Wednesday Night Draft and FNM just because people keep asking and yeah. people want it to happen and if people are comfortable going to an event where lots of people are going to be who aren't necessarily going to be vaccinated uh, then that's fine and we'll run it for them and I'll try and keep myself safe as much as possible uh, but I'm just not really feeling it I don't know why I think before yeah. like maybe I was like into magic because I was just doing it all the time <laughs> it was like every, every Friday I'd be playing FNM and then like the week preceding I'd be like buying cards or like building decks or yeah it was, see it's a very good way to socialise and stuff as well remove yeah that for sure and, yeah I mean you're pretty much the only person I socialise with that I talk to magic about at this point <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean yeah, I'm just I'm just not I don't know I'm not that into it at the moment yeah that's fair that's fair definitely I mean, I was super hyped from, like, last week, getting dead excited about Innistrad previews, and, like, while the rest of the Magic community was complaining that, oh, it's preview season already, and then I was 
so so hyped looking forward to more previews and then it just didn't happen and we're gonna have like no previews this week either so i don't, I don't know i'm just in this bizarre like desperate for Limbo. these previews want to see more of innistrad but i know it's not coming for at least another week so it's very weird yeah. like the, the system that they do seems very strange yeah yeah and they're like they'll be like it, here's all these previews look at this thing look at this new set and then it's just you're looking at the same seven cards for like a month yeah <laughs> it's like okay these were exciting but i would have been excited about them in a month's time along with the other cards yeah i think just as always it's just a a massive disconnect for, between the different areas of the company really it's how you've got historic jumpstart horizons like it happened previews the same time that you know the, the tabletop set has got previews and you know, left hand doesn't talk to the right hand. I think. I mean, it's quite clear. I think. It's alright. They're a, they're a tiny indie company. We can't imagine them to. We can't expect them to <laughs> make excellent and cohesive decisions all the time. Yeah, yeah. It's not like they have you know one of the biggest game companies in the entire world backing them or anything like that. Yeah, I mean, not even backing them. They're just a, a straight division of the past. Yeah, point. Well, you know, <laughs> they are small indie company. Yeah. Yeah, it's all very strange. It is. It is. It is. I. I don't understand the. Uh, I mean, I, I understand a lot of the the goings on, but I don't really understand the organisation structure and stuff. But we did. We did get a, a nice little look at the inside from the inside uh, last week, or I guess this week. Um, it is time for my favourite article of the year. It is the State of Design article. So Mark Rose, Rosewater published his. State of Design 2021 article, uh, where he just talks about the the past year of Magic Design and I guess the past year, year of Magic in general, and it was uh, it was definitely a time. It was very interesting to see his takes yeah. on it. So we're gonna we're gonna run through them and just just discuss them because I think there's, there's a lot to talk about here. I mean, I'll address it as we're going into the specific points, but like I really want to know where he gets his data from. Yeah, because there are some like really bold statements here that like. I'm not sure are true. <laughs> yeah, I think there's there's a lot of things going on. I think there's a lot of there's obviously sales data collated from all over the place. There's um, there's feedback that they get from from WN things uh, with stores. There's all of the surveys as well that anybody and everybody uh, will get advertised if you go onto the the Magic website at some point, or if you go onto Reddit at some point, or any social media. They usually advertise them there when a new set comes out. Uh, I assume they have like, like focus groups and stuff, and yeah, I, I don't know. It would be it would be really good just to see where they get this data from, but I don't I don't think we'll ever get told exactly. Yeah, it's just been like, I don't know. It's just the circles you run in, right? Like I don't. There are some things that are asserted here that I have never heard anyone that I personally know say. Yeah. And of course, it's gonna be a small sample size, but and it's like when they're like, oh, "Secret layers, it's amazing. Everyone loves secret layer, and pretty much everyone I talk to about secret layers like yeah I buy it but I hate it yeah. <laughs> so it's just going off sales data but anyway let's get, let's get into what it actually says cool so he says that the overall magic design uh, the highlights was number one number one a lot of magic was purchased and played yep so that's it's quite True. obvious isn't it so, uh, so he said that he wanted to start with an important note about magic at large in the spring of 2020 they had to make a financial prediction for the rest of the year knowing that quote we were in the middle of a global pandemic 
uh-huh. in a, in the spring of 2020 <laughs> in the middle it's, in the middle yeah and what and were definitely not still yeah <laughs> <laughs> so that after all much of magic plays in person so you know see they had to set what they predicted um but to their pleasant surprise the last year of magic broke records uh, it's more magic was played and purchased than ever before in its 28 year history which is it sounds absolutely bizarre to me absolutely bizarre that the year where everybody has to stay inside and can't meet up face to face and play magic with each other more magic was played than ever yeah I mean the combination of arena magic online and yeah people breaking covid restrictions <laughs> yeah definitely yeah i mean arena surely will will bump those stats up definitely but yeah in, in terms of like physical cards being purchased it was the record breaking yeah which i guess the, there's a lot of other factors that play into that which obviously they, they won't discuss because it goes into secondary market financial stuff which they they can't they can't discuss for for legal reasons but i think if you you see when all the sort of lockdowns and stuff started kicking off globally we saw a massive resurgence in in digital currency in bitcoin and then that propped up the the collectibles market and then the collectibles market just exploded and everybody was trying to get in on that and i think in general i think that really helped this the sale of magic cards definitely because it just it yeah. just didn't matter you, you could just make money you could buy a, anything you buy a booster pack a booster box whatever and you could just flip it it was it's like nothing we've ever seen before, to be honest, and I, I still don't think the market's fully gone back down to where it was at all, and probably won't ever at this point. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think you, I mean, it's very easy for them to acknowledge that without specifically saying people, but a bunch of preservers cards and all the prices are crazy. Yeah. That's yeah. certainly part of it. Like, Sure, that wasn't exclusively driven by people's hype around Magic Gathering specifically. A lot of it was just people with capital moving their money yeah but it's right. still rising tide raises all ships right absolutely and that's that's not to be ignored yeah and i imagine there'll be some people who would like you know people with money in crypto who are like told by one of their uh, consorts to invest in magic the gathering who are like oh magic the gathering that sounds cool and i'm assuming some crypto bros probably picked up the game as well as just buying a bunch of reserveless cards yeah, quite possibly. Quite possibly. And that's the kind of market you want for your game, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I assume a lot of people involved in the, the cryptocurrency world at that level are very, very aware of Magic the Cavern anyway. Like, yeah, there's yeah. A, it's a, <laughs> a surprising hand in hand history that the, the two have. Um, yeah, at one point, the biggest cryptocurrency exchange, which actually turned out to be a bit of a scam eventually, was, uh, was called Mt. Gox. Which originally uh, stood for so it was MTGOX, which was Magic Online Exchange, which was there originally. It was meant to be a futures trading platform for Magic Online cards. Yeah. And turned into the biggest cryptocurrency marketplace until it, until its owners decided to run away with everyone's money. No, people involved in cryptocurrency doing dodgy deals and scamming yeah. people. No yeah. way. Heard it here first. Uh, I did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. Cool. So the second point here for the overall design, he said that it was a pretty strong year for design resonance, mm. which, I mean, yeah, design resonance. I, I, I think so. 
So we said that one of the things he's proudest about was how well mechanically they did to capture the resident resonance of the world that they visited. So Adventure World, Norse mythology world, magical school world, and Forgotten Realms all found a sweet spot of mechanics and themes that brought the world to life through gameplay. And I think that's something that I would I would definitely agree with. Yeah, it's why I like Teldrain so much. Yeah. For all of its pitfalls, <laughs> for all of its broken cards, and the fact that literally no one who plays Magic even slightly seriously can wait for it to rotate out of standard, yeah. I still love that set because they still managed to capture like everything they were going for and create a really engaging and fun world. Um, mm-hmm. Even if it doesn't matter because all the cards are broken. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. that he's mentioned mm-hmm. here. But yeah, it's stuff like. You know, adventure world. You had like landfall and party and stuff, and then the equipment. Like Zendikar definitely felt like like adventure world this time around, which, which was good. Yeah, it got back to like its Indiana Jones roots. From yeah, Zendikar, right? Norse mythology world. Obviously, Kaldheim. Mechanically, you were you were rewarded for attacking and doing things while attacking. Like that that you know that is very very on flavor for a set about Vikings and, and raiders and invaders and stuff. So yeah, yeah that sure. hits definitely. Magical School World had had lesson learn that was a teacher, and uh, Forgotten Realms very much captured the spirit of playing D and D on on Magic cards. So yeah. I, I think I strongly agree with that. I think in terms yeah. of design resonance specifically, I think it was a, a fantastic year. Yeah, no, I, I I agree that that all makes sense. It's just when you think like when you see <laughs> the four words strong year for design, <laughs> it kind of gets my back up a bit. Not strong year for design resonance. Yeah, not, yeah, not, not, just, not design, I, design resonance. Yeah, of course. Specifically. But when you see strong year for design, it kind of makes you think, oh, no. But yeah, like they capture all these things really well. And whether the cards were good or not, or whether people liked them or not, they definitely. The flavour was very much in the mechanic. And yeah. They, they got the mechanics dead on for the worlds they were trying to build, for sure. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And then the last overall point there was that set boosters were a hit. So it said it was last year that they introduced set boosters that were a huge hit. Uh, it's a sign that we're not resting on our laurels. We can question things we've done for all Magic's life and find new ways to allow the audience to experience the game in the way they choose. Uh, so it said that it will add one lesson to this highlight. As they get more booster packs, we have to better. We have to get better at predicting audience demand. So it said that Strixhaven got shorted on draft boosters early in its release because of this, and some COVID-related production issues, and that they're taking steps to make sure that doesn't happen again. Which uh, we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. I think to to counter that, I saw. I mean, I guess I assume most people will at this point. It was a post from from Dan Bock, who's a very big player in the the MTG finance world. Uh, made made a post saying, you know, talking about his experience of set boosters, which had said, you know, what he had asked him, how many set boosters he wanted, how many draft boosters he wants. So he'd said. The you know the time that weren't so sure of the set booster thing, but people really like to draft, so we'll take two hundred draft booster boxes and ten set booster boxes, and then we're told, well, we're allocating you, so you can only buy ten draft booster boxes, but as many set boosters as you want. So he took all ten draft booster boxes and took fifty set booster boxes, and then when it came to getting the sales data, uh, yeah, unsurprisingly, customers didn't like set boosters, but we sold out of draft boosters. Set boosters were the only thing we could sell them. So we sold 100% of our draft boosters, 10 boxes, and 40% of our set boosters, which was 20 boxes. And then they can turn around and go, oh wow, set boosters outsold draft boosters 2 to 1. Yep. 
So yeah, yeah it would be it would be nice to see the data sort of backing that up. Um, I think I know, there's a lot of it's a lot of things for like feelings I have about set boosters, and I think a lot of them are informed by you know selling them as a job. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. It's I uh, think from, they're, from they're a, more fun to open for sure. Yeah, I would agree with that. I'd say from from a consumer, you know, viewpoint, I think I yeah, from a purely sort of consumer viewpoint, I think step boosters are fantastic. I think step boosters are better than draft boosters in terms of you mm-hmm. know cracking boxes and stuff. Yeah, it's kind of what they're designed for. But I also don't like that because I like to draft, and I think drafting yeah. is fantastic. And drafting is just drafting has always just been a great way to get cards into circulation as well. Yeah, they are. It's an interesting one, but it's it's quite clear that they're not going to go away anytime soon. And I can't yeah. imagine the trends of seen are going to change anytime soon. My problem, like most of my problems with set boosters, it's so. It, the problem is one of the problems is you you have to you have to understand your demand, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and. I don't know. Mar- Mar- like addresses it here in terms of Watsi. Like, so like, Strix Seven got shorted, and from our point of view, every other set got shorted. Yeah. Um, and Seems to be everybody's point of view. Yeah, the demand for like generally as Watsi, like how many they produce, is one thing, but like the demand that we have to work out which ones we want and what we want to stock, and how many set boosters, how many draft boosters, how many collector boosters we want to stock for each set, and you have to get the numbers right often months in advance. Yeah. Um, so like we haven't sold many adventures in the Forgotten Realms boosters because the set's kind of shit for value. Yeah. You're opening Old Norbone, Demi Lich, that's kind of it. So people aren't particularly enamoured with what we're buying that set. They'll just leave it for the next set, which leaves us with a uh, dead stock. But the thing with set boosters is that people will be like, Oh, have you got any set boosters of X set? And we'll go, Oh no, sorry, we only have draft boosters because the set boosters are really popular. And like, oh we don't want to buy draft boosters. So it's like Am I supposed to just buy draft boosters specifically for draft, so that we have like you know four, five boxes in for draft, and then set boosters are the only ones we sell? Yeah. Um, and also, it's just annoying like having to stock two different types of boosters. Yeah. Uh, and people not knowing the difference, and everyone being like, "Oh, what's a set booster?" Or like, "Oh, I bought the wrong thing, and I wanted to buy this, and I wanted to draft, but I bought a set booster." And, it's a, it's all a whole thing, and I, the, my main problem with set boosters is there was no demand for this. Yeah, it's just like it's it's artificially saying, oh, this thing was needed when it wasn't. It's just sure this thing you've done is popular, but it was completely unnecessary to do. Yeah, and yeah, totally. You've like you see it with certain certain printings of cards are just like less valuable because set boosters exist because you have more of a chance of opening them in the set boosters. Yeah. So like for Modern Horizons two. There is kind of commons and uncommon slots <laughs> sometimes, um, but then you have a rare slot and then you also have a showcase slot. So like all of the sketch va- variants of cards are cheaper than the non-sketch variants, despite the fact they're meant to be like these variants that are more fun and, and interesting and meant to be the, the chase item because they can. I'm not sure in the specific maths, but they they uh, they turn up. More frequently than the non-sketch, yeah. because your rare slot can have a sketch rare, and your sketch sketch slot can have a sketch rare, but yeah, your rare well, slot can only have a non-sketch rare, right? Yeah, you're always guaranteed. You're always guaranteed at least one in a collector booster, uh, not a collector booster, a set booster. Whereas you're not, you're not always guaranteed anything in a draft booster. Yeah, 
So Merxide Regent Sketch is cheaper than a non-sketch because it's more common. But yeah, I don't know if that's true currently, but yeah. Sure, it might have changed, but yeah. at, at release when people were, were opening boosters yeah, and yeah. busting boxes, that was true. Um, it's just this weird sort of artificial changing of things and I mean the sort of thing with collector boosters as well, like collector boosters are kind of bad. Yeah. I don't think anyone no one buys collector boosters. Um Collector boosters are, are great for other people to buy and open, but not yourself. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Because like, cause when people come in and they want to make a cursory purchase, they don't want to spend fifteen pounds on a single booster pack. Yeah, that feels bad, especially with standard sets where there's nothing in them. Yeah, there's absolutely nothing in them. So we, we've, you know, we like open sets occasionally because, like, I mean, things happen and we oversell on the card. Like, yeah, it's pretty easy just to open this surplus lock of boosters we have because no one wants to buy this terrible set. And there's just nothing. There's nothing in these sets. Like, Zendikar Rising has Omnath, which is banned. <laughs> and, like, the land harmonicon thing. Yeah. And at least, you, you know, there's a chance of a fetch land in the, the Zendikar ones, right? Mm, in collector boosters, sure. In collector boosters, yeah. Yeah, but not regular boosters. It's just yeah. all these boosters are bad. And it's like, yes, yeah, boosters are a hit, but like they're bad because the sets aren't <laughs> worth anything. And you've oversaturated the market with a bunch of different types of variants of things. Yeah. And no one wanted this, and list cards, are, I don't understand list cards. And, I don't know, it's just it, it, it's just like, oh, consumers must want this product. Oh, look, they did. Not really. The old thing was fine. And yeah. this isn't a place where I think innovation was necessary. <laughs> well, that's it. The old thing was fine, innovation wasn't necessary, but innovation has certainly been profitable, and that's that's what it's all about at the end of the day, unfortunately. Yeah. It's, you know, I don't know. It's just ramp up the, the gotification of the game. And, yeah, for sure. Know, set boosters, collective boosters are straight straight gambling. You know, At least, it's why I've always defended the you know, Magic the Gathering booster product because you can draft with it, you can play sealed with it. The booster pack itself is, is, a, game. is a game piece. Yeah. yeah. The booster pack itself is a game piece. Game piece. So that for me is what what's always set it apart from you know other other games booster packs and you know, scratch cards and, and loot boxes and all that but set boosters collective boosters you can't draft with those but it makes the money and that's uh it's the bottom line at the end of the day yeah so let's see forward yeah, let's move on to lessons. So the overall magic lessons that they took away from last year was that they need to get better at extending their mechanical themes between sets, which I, I think is definitely one that has been resonating with people recently. So I think this this ties into the whole the whole thing of 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 people feeling like they're not getting a chance to enjoy like one set or one plane because the previews are coming out for the next set. And everything changes. Everything changes so much from set to set. If you look at everything that was released in the past year, completely different, like planes, completely different themes, completely different settings, completely different mechanics. And so, rather than like getting to enjoy like one mechanic or one theme, it's like okay, we'll play this for a couple of weeks, just as we're getting the hang of it, just as we're getting a feel for it. Forget about that. Because we've got to look forward to the next stuff now. So, yeah. So, they said that while visiting more worlds per year helps keep magic from feeling stale. Uh, they've run into the opposite problem that people just don't get excited about the mechanics anymore because it's all coming too fast. 
yeah, it's this, it's this, this catch twenty two, and you're like, okay, you don't want to stay on the same plane for half a year because, or a full year because it's stale, and then uh, you don't want to change everything all the time because it's too much, and yeah. you're being thrown for a loop every time a set comes up. And I don't, I honestly don't know where I stand on this. Like, I kind of miss like three set blocks. Yeah, I mean, I, I think two set blocks are fine. I mean, two set yeah. blocks are absolutely fine, and it's what they should do. I think it's just what yeah. what they should do. You have a two set block, then a core set, then a two set block, then a two set block, and a core set, then two set block. Like, but like, you know, I do think... do that, or like, if if you need, if you need, or if you want to tell a bigger story, like they did with, with you know, War of the Spark slash that time, you know, the last time they went back to Ravnica, you can do that two set block, and then have our own sort of standalone, standalone set that fits on the end of that to be the, the resolution to that particular story arc. Yeah, the thing is, like, you so you can't explore story anywhere near yeah. as much, especially with all the, you know, the actual oh, stories being not. sort of killed. Um, but it's like, uh, sure, it's kind of stale, like, if you're on Ravnica for a year, but, like, uh, I know like, Ravnica's a bad example because nothing really happens on Ravnica, it's just different sets, like, it's different guilds, right? So it all feels yeah. kind of homogenised. But, like, you look at the difference between, like, Zendikar and Rise of the Eldrazi. Yeah. It's the same plane, completely different story, completely, basically completely different plane, because it's so different to what was originally on there. Um, Khans of Tarkir was literally different times. Yeah. Scars of Mirrodin and New Phyrexia, like, they're, they're the, the two ends of the blocks, like, they're very, very different. And I'm sure it's the same plane, but, like, you've got, most of the time, different characters, you've got different stories happening, you've got different events, you, a lot of the time you've got different, completely different mechanics, different... Um, like creatures and stuff. It's it's. It doesn't have to be stale. Yeah, if it's totally. stale, that's a problem with design, not with the idea. Yeah. <laughs> like if your if your first set in a block and your second set in a block seem like the same set, then that's a problem with design, not with not with the fact that it's the same plane. Yeah. And then we lived on Dominaria for ten years. That was fine at that point. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like it, you can live in the same world, and it's not be so jarring that you're suddenly like this, and then this, and then this, and then this, and then this, and it does feel like things are just like things are so different, and things can be dominant. Like if you have one set that has like one mechanic, then that's that plane is the only thing that anyone cares about. Like Eldraine is the only plane that matters in standard, right? Pretty much. Yeah. Whereas like before, it's like that's fine because one of the like <laughs> in a standard rotation, you're in two planes. Yeah. Not seventeen. Yeah, definitely. With some sort of core set breather in between the two of them. Like, yeah, yeah, and then you have like, especially if you add on like Modern Horizons or a conspiracy type product. Yeah, it's yeah. just completely different world, or maybe loads of different worlds crammed into one with like many different mechanics. It's uh, yeah, totally. It's all it's all very jarring and very hard to keep track of. And yeah, I missed the two the two set blocks. The two set blocks were fine. Yeah, I, I two think blocks are great. The best compromise, definitely. Cool. So yeah, next up, another lesson they learned was that this is something that I didn't even even realize or. Maybe I didn't even know. I mean, surely I, I must have known, but definitely forgot that uh, modal double-faced cards didn't give the air uh, cohesiveness like I was hoping for. Yeah, the bit so of the, the bit it of turns the... out that was that was you know they did actually have a mechanic that ran through every single set that came out last year, and it was yeah the they did. I think <laughs> modal dual-faced cards. <laughs> there are a lot of things with this. Like I think everyone realised that modal double-faced cards were like a thing. I I mean but... I knew they were a thing, but I didn't realise it was meant to be the theme tying every set yeah, together in a year. Like. That's the problem. I think, think the thing is as well, like, they were just like, it, 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 because it's it's evergreen now, right? Because it's been in so many different sets back to back to back. Is, is it? 
<laughs> I don't know if it's evergreen or if it's deciduous. If it, if it well, was meant to be the, 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 the theme tying the year together, then surely that's deciduous. Yeah, we'll see them come back in, every now and then. But yeah, but because it's in because it's in Zendikar and Kaltheim and Strixhaven, uh, is it in? It's D&D? not in Forgotten Realms. It's in. Uh, sure. it, no, no, no. Sure. But because it was in those three sets, you're just like, yeah, this is just a thing that what's you do now. This is just the thing that magic cards can do. And that's cool, that's a cool design space, but let's just carry on. So that when you see the next MDFC, you're like, yeah, sure. This is what I expected. You're not like, oh, this is a brand new thing they're doing to tie all the to tie all the sets together and to yep. make everything cohesive. They're just like, yeah, this is a thing they do. Like, I'm not excited when things have Scry. I'm not like, oh, that makes sense because, you know, Scry is... Because it's just a thing that happens all the time. And, you know, they did the, the double face secret layer, which is one of the worst secret layers they've ever done. Yeah, because it made no sense. Because they were giving you a bunch of foil, borderless, double-faced cards, which are not particularly desirable, uh, and borderless foil, double-faced cards already exist. <laughs> like there was, it was a bo- like borderless of all the pathways, right? Yeah. And then, yeah. You, and then your premium product was borderless of all the pathways. So yeah, they're different art, and they're like on the the different planes. And I like the fact that you had the Zendikar ones on Kaltheim and the Kaltheim ones on Zendikar. That's a cool idea. But you've just given us a product that basically already exists, so why am I paying 35 pounds, or however much the secret layer was, why am I paying that when I can just get them out of boosters? Yeah, totally. But you can open totally. a card that looks very, very similar to the premium secret layer version. Whereas like when it's like slime time, and they have all these weird artists on them, that looks very different, that makes sense, because that's a product you have to go out of your way for. Like, I already have a borderless foil branched off pathway, why do I need this printing of the borderless foil branch off pathway. Yeah, I don't because I've already got one. Um, that was a tangent. <laughs> but yeah, like it, it's because mono double face cards were just were just in every set, and there's some innovation within it. Like so, some of them were just like double face creatures. Some of them were the, the lands on the lack of creatures, uh, the lands on the lack of spells. Like it, it was interesting, but it, it didn't feel like it was a theme because yeah. they just they were just doing it, and it was just a thing they were like. It's, yeah. it turns out it was it was actually a theme and was meant to be. Meant to be the cohesive theme tying the air together. It's just a cool design. Yeah. It was just a, a cool design that I'm glad they carried on with because it led to a lot of innovation in certain yeah, spaces. That's it. Like yeah, they said that they they were liked. Uh, they were mostly liked as a mechanic, but it feels like they didn't do do a very good job of giving the air uh, sense of cohesion. Um, uh oh, I've just got pinged by the NHS app. Uh oh. Uh oh, been... kicking. The app has detected that you have been near someone who tested positive for coronavirus. You may need to self-isolate, depending on your age and vaccination status. Oh my gosh! Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh, yeah. you double vaxxed, so you don't have to now. It all you changed were, yesterday. Were you aged after? Yes. Uh, vaccination status. Are you fully vaccinated? Yes. Did you receive your last dose on or before 29th of July? Yes. You do not need to self-isolate. Let's go. Yeah, I mean, you probably should, but also like, there are no rules anymore. Uh, yeah. Sorry, I just I got worried about the pinging because nope, I literally uh, just nice, ex- fucking tested. Nice exciting break. Yeah. God damn it. <laughs> Sorry. Carry on. All good. So yeah, so the final lesson, sort of to take away overall from the air, was that Throne of Eldraine being so strong didn't let the other set shine. So we said he wasn't sure if he should include this. Uh, in the list of, of lessons since Throne of Eldraine came out uh, in 2019, believe it or not. Uh, yeah. Uh, he said, you know, 
Wasn't sure if I should if I should list this lesson as neither an area I oversee nor the source of the problem from this year's design. <laughs> However, it was the number one piece of, piece of criticism that they got about last year's design. Because of Throne of Drain's power level, it kept many of the year's fun mechanical themes from seeing as much play as they normally would in an average year. So the audience enjoyed this year's mechanics and themes, they just wish they could have played them. Yeah, that was a lot of people said, this is a really cool card, but I'm never going to play it. Or yep. at least not going to play it until the autumn when uh, Throne of rotates. So Yeah, and I, th- I think correct. that ties into so much as well. Like, you know, going back to what we were saying about, like, even like set boosters and collector boosters and stuff like so so many of these cards that would have seen a lot of play and been sort of chase rare and mythics in the past just completely worthless because they're not playable because of the power level of Eldraine because they're not edge rolling keeper <laughs> yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> lucky clover or like yeah exactly whatever that stupid cat's called cauldron familiar that's the one yeah yeah that's the thing it wasn't just like a dominant strategy it was like dominant it was everything it was yeah, because you yeah. had Oko, you had the adventure decks, you had the Cold and Familiar decks, uh, and then you had like Brazen Borrower and Questing Beast, and just like a bunch of like, it, it was no like, oh, adventure was too powerful, but everything else was in line. It was just every possible metric. It was yeah. way too much. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we we talked a lot about it last year when we had the uh, the state of design article. Just, I'll be very very happy when it's gone. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, there are currently six cards from that set banned in Standard. <laughs> it's just like Cauldron Familiar, Escape to the Wild, Fire Invention, Lucky Clover, Oko, Once Upon a Time. Like, they were all in the same set. Fire's Invention, I forgot about that one. Yeah, and that's not even like... like There are plenty of other other cards in the set that could could just as easily be on the list as well, when you think about it. like Wild, absolutely wild. Amazing. So now we break it down into individual sets that came out. So first up is Zendikar Ryzen. So the highlights were MDFCs of lands on the back were very popular. Which, mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. We've talked about that a bit. Correct. Great. Uh, players enjoyed Landfall's return. So yeah. they said that yeah they uh, added some more aggressive costing on the Landfall cards and played around with some new tweaks and there was a lot of positive feedback around that. And, yeah, I think it was good. I really enjoyed the the limited format for uh, for Zendikar Rising. Yeah, I mean, I can't think of fantastic. a single landfall card that's playable outside of Omnath, but uh, the crab. The oh, crab. Ruin a crab, of course. Yeah, yes, Ruin yeah. crab's incredibly good. <laughs> yeah, it's because I'm going back to that kind of stuff, not like big sort of like Avenger of Zendikar. No, yeah, it's a one drop with like an aggressively costed ability, right? Yeah, yeah, that card's good. Yep. Uh, so snap on equipment was popular, which. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. 100%. Big fan of that. It, equipment was, it was playable. Equipment is very rarely playable, like, unless it's like a, a busted rare mythic. It's very, very yeah, rarely if, playable in a limited environment. Uh, yeah. And yeah, you got plenty of play out of, out of most of the most of the equipment was, was pretty good. Yeah, it felt like equipment was lost for a while. Yeah, because you, you had when it first came out, you had like the Sword Art Cycle, which is very, very powerful. And then you had Umazawa's Jute, which is one of the most powerful cards ever made. Yeah, uh, and then you had kind of nothing of note really until yeah. the next Mirrodin set where you had Sword Arts again which were less powerful but still very very powerful and then they were like okay we need to stop doing this um, and then it, it seems like sort of the snap on equipment is a, is a sweet way to, to innovate on equipment that makes it like at least a bit more interesting yeah yeah and that's using equipment as it's intended and you know, not just not yeah. just passing over skull plant there yeah 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, like, say, yeah. Like, that's not busted because it's an equipment, it's busted because the design was bad. <laughs> like it's Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like sort of so this is too powerful, put a minus on it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine if that card said zero. Yeah. I wouldn't know what it was. <laughs> this is the thing, I w- no one would know what scorecard was. Yeah. Because it's a bad card. Uh it's kind it's kind of okay. But yeah, I mean, they they tweaked one knob. <laughs> Amazing. And then the final bit from Zendikar Ryzen for the positives was that players enjoyed Party's general design space and they really liked it in Limited, which I, I would agree with, definitely. Um, in terms of, I don't know, Constructed, didn't see any play, uh, you know, Faltrain was a thing. But Limited, I, th- I thought Party was fantastic for Limited, definitely enjoyed that. It was nice to nice to have like a what felt like a bit of a tribal archetype go across like three different colours as well. Yeah, Super cool. Yeah. Big fan, big fan of that. Yeah, definitely agree with that there. And then the the lessons. So yeah, first up is that party didn't live up to its potential and constructed. Correct. So yeah, they said party had a lot more problems when it was brought to constructed formats, especially standard. Uh, the audience wanted more seeding pre and post Zendikar Rising for the four relevant class creature types, and wanted to position some individual cards to be more potent to make the theme work and constructed. They said that they do know the feedback will be taken to heart next time they do a larger tribal theme. So, it'll be interesting to see where they take that. Hopefully, yeah. hopefully they'll see party or I guess a similar mechanic return in the future because yeah. it'll be cool. It was good. It just, it just did not get its, its chance to shine and constructed. I think that that's another point for uh, for three set or two set blocks. Yeah, is that you can seed things without specifically calling them a mechanic. Whereas yeah, it's much definitely. harder to like seed warriors and clerics and wizards in a set that isn't built for party. Yeah. Because there's always seeds, right? You had like Innistrad and then Returns of Returns Ravnica had Dash Zealot, which yeah. did nothing in terms of the Returns of Ravnica block, but it really punished flashback and stuff like that. Like it's so you you can do that, but it's a lot harder to do when you're trying to just jam creature types in, I guess. On playable cards. Yeah, totally, totally. Cool. And next up, they had the set didn't bring back the things they wanted brought back. So, yeah. so this was the third trip to Zendikar and the sixth set to take place there. There's a lot of sadness that certain elements weren't in the set because complained about lack of allies. Uh, I think there were a few characters as well that just weren't brought back for whatever reason. Yep. So, so they played a major role in both the first two visits, and while the party hit similar flavor space, the absence of, of allies was a source of disappointment. And they also got complaints about various mechanical elements, the most mentioned ones being traps, quests, and creature lands. Which, yeah, you would have you would have assumed they would have been like, you know, a, a new or a, even just a reprint of creature lands in standard. Yeah, well, it's it's this the thing. It's it's the same thing with like two set blocks. Is you can't do all the things you want to do. Yeah. So when you go back to to Zendikar, you can't have all the characters. You can't have. Kalitas, as well as Drana. Yeah. Um, and that's something people have gotten accustomed to because when you print, like, so, like I'm just picking Kalitas as a sort of random example, but like he's in the first set and then he has a newer version in the next the next time we go there, and then oh he's not here. Is that because he's not relevant to the story anymore? Did we have a story that said where he went, whether he died, what's going on with him? It's just like he's just not in the set because we don't have space to put him. Yeah. The same with allies, like you can't do all the things you want to do and put allies. Whereas if you had like an ally set and then the story was 
that they specifically turned into parties or whatever and the allies were like it was more important about them being a party than being out well, whatever you, you can turn that into a story for the next set right and yeah, you can have totally. both allies and then the party um, and it's just a problem with single sets you, you can't do all the things you want to do so yeah. when we were going to sets for the first time that kind of sucks because you can't flesh it out as much like I know you were specifically disappointed with, with Cal Time because it wasn't what you wanted from Cal Time and maybe that would have yeah. been alleviated if we had Cal Time 2 uh, yeah, quite possibly. Have to wait ten years yeah. for it, uh, and when we go stuff back to like, sets, like, like obviously one of the big ones we pointed out last year was like Theros. Clearly, Theros was you know should have been a, a two-set block where you, you got the rest of the Titans and you got to see the underworld and all that rather than just trying to cram everything in one one set. Yeah, and I know it's a Bioworks promo, but you just includes Athreos for some reason. Yeah, yeah, like why? <laughs> yeah, why Athreos? No, why? no mention of the story at all. Just, yeah. yeah, why? <laughs> Because they needed a legendary creature for the Barbox promo, I guess. Yeah, yeah. How bizarre, how bizarre. But yeah, then also, like, tacked on to that is the the last lesson here from Zendikar Ryzen was that the third visit didn't feel like it added anything new. Yeah. So, not only were people not happy that they didn't bring back some of the things that they liked, like, they also didn't feel like anything new was added at all, so it was just... Just incredibly bland, which is uh, which is unfortunate. Given I think the the things that were good, the, the things that were hit from the set were great, but just the the majority of it just did not seem to land properly. I think. Yeah, not to mention that's not something I'd really considered. Was the like the third visit not adding anything? Yeah, because I mean, yeah, Balvas and Kyle, like it was the whole. Eldrazi is still overrunning the world, but there's new types of Eldrazi and yeah. Colorless Manor and so it's not it's not like a great change, but it's a subtle enough change that it feels something new. Yeah. Whereas this is like a return to Zendikar and like the new things are just like I said, like the party mechanic is just an extension of allies, right? Yeah. Um and landfall we've seen before. And then it's just it's just Zendikar existing. And then we have that big cinematic trailer when Hiri does something and like portrays Akiri and Sarah's yeah, and, and then yeah. And then the hedrons are rising, the endicars are rising and stuff, and all the, the skyclaves are floating back into the sky from, I don't know, under the sea or whatever. But that was just never explored. Like, yep, just Nihira was there, and she seemed like a nice person. Yeah, you had that, <laughs> like, and then weird. they also had like the complete absence of Eldrazi. Not even like, oh, this is what it, what the world looks yeah. like as we're recovering from the Eldrazi, or oh, here's you know, one or two stragglers, just like. Well, you had you had forsaken. It just is if it, that was it. Just. Yeah, that was yeah. literally it. And like we were saying, like we 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 were talking about when Zendikar Rising had been previewed, and like, oh, what what would we expect? And it'd be like, I don't know, like some Ulamog cultists who were like obsessed yeah. with the old gods and the Eldrazi, who would like who were like kind of a new threat because they're trying to. T- at least that would be interesting. Yeah, and it's like definitely. very very similar. It's still it's still the Eldrazi and it's still Zendikar, but it's something new and something interesting whereas this one was just literally like there felt like there were there was no story on the cards except except skyclave was mentioned a bit more than usual <laughs> yeah. and it was just zendikar which is yeah. fine which is cool like it returned to its roots as a zendikar set but it just it just felt like zendikar 2 literally zendikar 2 rather than an extension of that plane or totally. its, its lore so cool we move on to commander legends so first up the highlights for that players like the new limited format did they play it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's that's why I, I want to know where they're getting their data from. From this, this is very. I know some people play on Magic Online, but playing Commander on Magic Online isn't fun. So yeah, agreed, agreed. Uh, players love throwbacks to old Magic lore, like always true. Agreed. Yeah, it certainly did. It's good. 
Players enjoyed the cool commander designs. That is not true. Stop printing so many commanders. There are like a thousand legendary creatures this year already. Please stop. Yeah. That's just me, and but please stop. Finally, players liked the reprints. Yes. Yeah, reprints, good. reprints of Commander Legends were particularly good. Like Squall yeah. Rack, uh, Rings of Bright Half, stuff like Commander that. Was very good. Yeah. Yeah, very, very good. Good set. Very good mm-hmm. set for reprints. Yep. And lessons. Uh, there were many suggestions about how to improve the draft format, which feels contradictory to the uh, players like the limited format. It was bad. Both these points are like they loved it. I don't know who played it, and there are many suggestions about how to improve it. People didn't play it. How do they know how to like? How do they know they didn't like it? <laughs> that but, one kid loves the prismatic piper. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> First Mario Bible was kind of cool as yeah. I but yeah it, it, I imagine it t- I mean it's because the, uh, we said it at the time but the problem is there are a bunch of like people who want to play draft are draft players who don't tend to play commander and are looking for draft not commander and then a bunch of commander players who don't tend to play draft and are looking for commander not draft and you're trying to push the two together so people like me and, and you recently has been turned on to commander like cool this combines two of, of my favourite ways to play magic and that's cool but like bunch of your target audience is just completely missed because the Venn diagram doesn't sect that that yeah. way, unfortunately. Yeah. But yeah, I'm not surprised that that is a complaint that they had. From whom, I don't know, but a complaint they had. And then, you know, contradictory to the point before, players enjoyed the cool commander designs. We have some cards warped constructed commander. Whole Breacher. <laughs> yeah, it's all, yeah, Whole Breacher. Yeah. It's uh, a card. It's, a, it's definitely a card. It's yeah, we, we've yep. talked about that on end. Speaking uh, of Hole Breacher, the last point. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And then finally, the last point some cards could have been white. Yep, Hole Breacher. <laughs> <laughs> Which I don't yeah. think would have been as powerful if it was a white card. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I kind of hate this complaint. I hate the whole, oh, it could have been white. Why isn't very powerful discourse? Because, like, also, if you looked at, like, the modern metagame recently, I know it was on my Commander Legends, but if you looked at the modern metagame recently, yeah. like, 80% of the decks yeah. are playing white. Yeah. White isn't a dead colour. Um, and I'm kind of saying, this could have been white, this should have been white. It's like, yeah, whatever. It, uh, they're trying, right? Stop. Also, design takes a long time. So, like, Commander Legends is a reaction to you going, oh, white doesn't get anything six years ago. Yeah. <laughs> so don't expect them in the next set. But we just got Esper Sentinel as well in Modern Horizons too. Like, that's a good yeah. white commander card. That is a great card. And they keep trying. They like they gave us, like, Verge Rangers and, like, the Cartographer's Hawk and, and stuff. They're trying, like, right? shut up. <laughs> you have to ferry protection, go away. Yeah. <laughs> so don't play one commander then, that's fine. Sure, sure. Alright, let's move on to Kaldheim. Uh, so the highlights for Kaldheim was that players enjoyed the mechanics. I, I agree with. I think mechanics yeah. were great. Yeah. Fortel was, was fantastic. Yep. I think the, uh, the, the raid mechanic was cool. Like, is it called raid? What was it called? I don't remember the name. This, this this is my issue with so many mechanics so quickly. Yeah. I don't remember the name. The one where you attack and you get to do something because you've attacked. Uh, boast. Boast. That's the one. Yeah. Yeah, that was definitely very, very flavorful. Uh, players liked the god MDFCs, which yeah, I think they were pretty good. It was really cool to see, seeing like creatures on one side, equipment like equipment or artifacts on the other. Like that was really cool. I liked that a lot. Yeah, because it was uh, the theme for the year, Joe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Didn't you know? <laughs> and then players loved the flavour of the world, which... Yeah. Yeah, like, in, in general, definitely. I think it was very different to how I'd imagined it, like, given given what I'd already known about Kaldheim from 
you know, what little, admittedly what little we'd seen in previous lore, I, I did think it would be slightly different, but all in all, I, th I think it's a, a very well-designed plane, and I think it'll be a very good plane to return to, hopefully in a, a nice two-set block next time. Yep. And then the lessons from Kaldheim is that the set felt too cramped and should have been two sets. <laughs> yes. Yeah, absolutely. Like You're having a a massive world, a massive plane like Kaldheim with so much going on. It would have been so much cooler to split it up into two sets. It was like, you've got this this world with like ten realms and there's the world tree and there's all of these gods and the gods can die and they're like dual-faced cards. Oh, but also Tybalt is here as well and he's a creature but also he's a planeswalker on the back. And oh, Vorinclex is here as well. Remember him? The Phyrexians, they're, they're on, on Kaldheim. You just had like so yeah, much yeah. going on. Like all of these different themes, I think, definitely agree that it was it was a bit too cramped. It would have been cool to see yeah. spread over two sets. I mean, it's yeah, something I've said this entire episode is I, I miss being able to extend sets. Uh, yeah. And it, it's funny comparing that to Zendikar Rising. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, nothing happened on this plane. Like, it's a fine yeah. set, but like, what's happening? And then this one is like, okay, 50 different important things are happening all at once. Great. Yeah. Stone yeah, it's like you could have had like the, the first set, like Tybalt had been there on the first set, and you know Tybalt's opened the realm gate or whatever in the first set, and then then you have the Vorinclex and for new you know new Phyrexian creatures, new Phyrexian Vikings and stuff in the second set. That would have been cool. Yeah, but, new Phyrexian Vikings would have been sweet. Yeah, and I want that set. God damn it! <laughs> and how it does not and cannot exist. Oh yeah. well. Oh well. Next lesson was that there should have been more anti-snow anti cards. Uh, so, sure. Yeah, they said players were excited to see snow return, but disliked that there was little incentive to play normal basic lands over snow basic lands. Uh, the set needed to have more snow hate than it did. Modern Horizons 2 helped with this some, but Kaldheim should have done more. Uh, it said that they're going to try to be better about giving answers to a set's mechanics and themes in that set. Which uh, I do not believe because it's something that they've said multiple times already. I just don't think there's a good way to hate on snow. I don't think the, the yeah. ways to hate on snow are. A good enough incentive to not play snow. Yeah, it's a weird thing. It's like okay, because the, the, the problem is, people just play snow basics because there are small upsides. But it's like those upsides matter. Like playing, being able to play Ice Van Quattle and have no other snow cards in your deck is an upside. Yeah. Uh, or whatever the snow cards are in Kaldheim. Uh, but like, so it's not like you're building an entirely snow. It's not like casting Shatterstorm against an artifact deck, right? Yeah, totally. It's, yeah. It, it's you're trying to cast an anti-snow card about against a deck that's just playing like a couple of snow cards. It's not a snow deck. It's just this is good enough value that I want to warp a part of my deck around it. Yeah, the opportunity cost is so low for potentially such a big payoff. That yeah, and like, what are you going to do? Like, you just you just do it. Because like. that's the thing. Because if you're like you, snow permanents can't be cast or whatever. Like snow yeah. non-land permanents can't be cast. Like okay, the, like, I just won't cast my ice fan quarter. Why are you playing that yeah. cyborg card? And you can't yeah. have like Snowmageddon. <laughs> you can't have like, yeah, destroy like Armageddon for Snowlands. That's because like, that's yeah. way too good. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, thing, it, it's it's, it's way to too good for about a day, and then everyone's like, "Oh well, I'm just not going to play Snowlands then because there's one yeah, I just card won't play Icefang Quarrel." Yeah. Um, yeah, that's the thing. Like, it's very it, the reason that they should have been mind anti snow cards. I agree, but like, I don't know how you do it. And you've had since Ice Age to do it, <laughs> and you haven't yeah. found a good way yet. Uh, that's not just so specific because, like, the, like I said, the snow cards aren't ubiquitous. Not every deck is playing snow, 
and the decks that are playing snow aren't snow decks, they're just accidentally playing some snow basics because Icewine Kawhal is good, or because a card that cares about snow is good, but the rest of the cards care about snow in no way. Yeah. It's just it's a very just hard a, problem. It happened to artifacts, like snow permanents don't untap during their control. But why would you play that? That's such a wasted card. It's a sideboard card. Yeah, but I don't want to dedicate a sideboard card to like stopping my opponent literally casting an Icewine Kawhal. That seems kind of bad. I mean, standard exists, so and this is, this is a standard set. Like, as Van yeah, sure. is a card, yeah, sure, but, like, you know, there are plenty of cards that exist for strategies in standard that don't see play yeah. in, in other formats. Yeah, it's just, it's a, it's a hard problem to solve, but I don't really know how you go about it. So, like, I like that they're addressing it, but I don't think they will find a way to. No, they, they won't. They won't. They've said that plenty of times before. Like, if you look at all the graveyard stuff from, like, the like the Innistrad set and Armin Kent and stuff, and, like, they just, they just didn't. Like... <laughs> They've uh, yeah. they've had this lesson before and didn't learn it. And I I don't have faith that they will this time either. Like when they banned all the energy cards and then the set after the ban had a way to stop energy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure, yep. you've done it way too late. Just put it in the same set. It's fine. Just print pithy needle like. Yeah. Pithy needle should be. I I don't like sorcerer's spyglass. Pithy needle should be evergreen, and should just be in every core set probably. Yeah. Just as a as I, a safety valve. It's never yeah. going to be too good. Exactly. Exactly. And then finally, uh, their last lesson was that they stayed too close to North m- Norse mythology. So they said that another common piece of feedback was that they stuck a little too close to the source material. Uh, almost all of the gods, for example, matched one to one of an existing Norse god. Players don't mind when we do top-down cards from source material, but also enjoy when we take our spin on the material. So their big takeaway is that they need to be willing to twist things inspired by a real-world source. Which I sure. thought was quite interesting. Yeah, I mean, that's not uh, an issue I'd ever been aware of before. Yeah, same. I feel like I don't know. Like people don't really have that issue with Theros, right? I think Theros falls into that category of like putting their own spin on it. Because like yeah. there are no, there are very few direct. Oh, there were a lot of direct references. Yeah, I guess to Erebus is Greek and Roman death. mythology. Like God so of many. Heaviard. But like it felt. Aroas being Apollo slash Mars, like yeah, like there's so many, so so many. I think maybe people are just more into Norse mythology than they are into Greek mythology. <laughs> I think this might be the problem. I, I think I think it might be the the other thing. Like people are just not as, or maybe people are just not as familiar with Norse mythology, so they feel like they don't don't know or understand or like the the myth stuff. Whereas no, no, they I like it the... in the Theros set, so they they're more happy to look past it. No, I think I think it's the other way around. I think yeah. people don't know a lot specifically about Greek mythology, so they don't know that Eros is a an analogue for something, whereas Norse mythology is very popular, so they know that this is this, this is this, this is this, this is this. I this think is Greek mythology is a lot more popular than Norse mythology. How many Greek mythology metal bands are there? Uh, probably not that many, but how many Norse mythology Disney films are there? Zero. Yeah. Wait, are you saying that Theros is popular because Hercules? <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be some. Yeah, Hercules is absolutely going to be many people's gateway to, to Greek mythology. And what a gateway it is, what an excellent film. Yeah. I think. I last watched it when I was like 10. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, their, their lesson yeah. apparently is that they were too close to, no, to Norse mythology. Yeah, sure. I, that's I don't know, it's an interesting if, take, I think. Very if people feel take. that way, then they feel that way. I, I yeah. think they did put a spin on it. Like, yeah, I I think so too. Plus, also like, I don't know. I I feel like th- to me the the issue reads like people have 
have an issue with the with the references being so like so on the nose, but yeah. I feel like that's not something that we ever really experienced with other sets when they do that. Like nobody's ever really complained about like Delvera's secrets being the fly, have they? Like, okay, I don't know. This is the thing. Like, I, I think it's just people don't know these things, and maybe they're just on the nose with with Norse mythology. Yeah, because some people aren't going to be like when you say what is Delver of Secrets a reference to in terms of pop culture. A lot of people won't say the fly, whereas you're like, what is uh, Halvar uh, an analog to? Probably more people will get it. Um, yeah, but I like yeah, when maybe. they do that. I like when they just put things that are obviously other things in there. I think it's fun. Um, yeah. Maybe, also, maybe... when you when you said Halvar, like maybe <laughs> maybe you're right to say that Disney do actually have a lot more. Uh, successful Norse mythology films because they own Marvel, don't they? So, <laughs> oh yeah, there you go. There we yeah, go. maybe that's the thing. Like because Thor, people yeah. like to think that they're interested in Norse mythology now, but they just know Norse mythology through the Marvel films. Yeah, <laughs> there are no Greek mythology Marvel films. <laughs> I think the collective Marvel cinematic universe is probably more influential influential than. 1998's Hercules or whenever it came right, out right, yeah absolutely yeah. absolutely PlayStation game was great though I never played it unfortunately oh you haven't lived I played the anyway. Scooby Doo PlayStation game how was how that how does that stack up I don't I, I was like 7 it wasn't good <laughs> <laughs> let's move on yep. uh, Strixhaven School of Mages come next so the highlight is that players loved the Mystical Archive I fully agree with this I loved everything about Mystical Archive pretty much uh, I hated having to sort it and sort between regular versions and etch foil versions and Japanese versions and Japanese etch foil versions and people not knowing that things were etch foil and that etch foil Japanese ones only come in the English boosters and regular non foil Japanese ones only come in Japanese boosters. I think the execution on a couple of specific places was terrible, but generally as a thing it was good. Yeah. Same. It says players love the mystical archive, not card monkeys. <laughs> not idiots like me. Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it says also players enjoyed having a spells mana set. Um, yeah, I agree with that it was cool. Sure. It was really cool to have that like, yeah, almost like storm mechanic in in limited. Sometimes big fan of that. It was good fun. Yeah. Uh, players liked the lighter tone and top down designs, which yeah, mm-hmm. I, I think it was it was a nice breather from having like world after world of like. Yeah, full on like world ending epic events to like, no, we're just in school doing school things. I mean, that's why I liked Throne of Eldraine. Yeah. Because the story was kind of inconsequential and it was entirely encapsulated in that world. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, the story amounted to the king of this plane was turned into an elk for a bit. Elk. Yeah. <laughs> and that's uh, why I liked like Kaladesh because Kaladesh was bright and fun and. Kaladesh was sweet. And the only so dark cool. thing was like the Aetherborn have like the lifespan of a mayfly but other than that it was like a happy bright fun set with no big dark things up until I mean the the genocide of magic wielders and the torture of Chandra's parents in front of her was pretty dark (laughs) that was Aether of all right well it was it was Kaladesh as well yeah but Kaladesh was maybe just an introduction to a fun steampunk kind of culturally appropriative world yeah mostly (laughs) and that was that was fun and bright and and nice and that's why Strixhaven was fun as well and then yeah. we had like Extus, who I imagine was important. Can't tell you what he does, or what, what his story is, but he was there as the yep. villain, as the, the Voldemort analogue. <laughs> <laughs> and then the lessons from Strixhaven is that some players wanted the schools to be more different than their guild equivalents, which 
Yeah, I agree. Uh, yes, we spent the whole episode talking about this, I think. <laughs> Quandrix is just Simic, literally just Simic. Yeah, because Simic has done everything, so you can't really yeah. do a blue-green thing without doing Simic. Uh, MDFCs had too much going on. Yeah, they were really so. cool, but like, Jesus Christ, could you tell me what any of the Deans do? <laughs> nope, couldn't because tell you the name of any of them, couldn't tell you what any of them do, could... You can tell you there's about eight paragraphs of text on each of them. Though. So when you had the original double face cards, like uh, in the strap block, you had like this flips when this, and on the back it flips when this, and then like the rares had like a line of text on each side, and the mythics had two lines of text on each side. Yeah. And even then, like Huntmaster of the Files was a very simple card. <laughs> Once yeah, you had read both sides, you knew exactly what both of the card sides of that card did. Deans, I don't even know what the first side does because it has so many words on it. And then it's just two I mean, full it's, cards. It's, it's probably like draw a card, gain three life, put a land into play at least. And yeah, then... sure. <laughs> but like, they're not even good. It's just like there are oh, so yeah. many lines it's of text. Just it's so like... much. And because that's the thing, because when you're like with like Balagad recovery, you're like, okay, this is a regrowth, and on the back yeah. is a tapped forest. I know what both. That's easy. Um, when it's like when we, got, we got it with Kaldheimer, it's like okay, I want Halvar. Uh, oh, the other side's an equipment, so I'll, I'll kind of know when I want each side of this. Yeah, right? yeah, totally. When it's like, I have a creature with two full paragraphs of text and keywords, and then a creature with two full paragraphs of text and keywords, like, I don't know which, what which one does. And there are similar mana costs, so like, they can fit at similar places on the curve, they can fit into similar play situations. So, I, dude, I don't know what's happening on either of these cards. Yeah. And I should, I, it, it would have been correct to cast the white side, but I, I cast the, the blue side. No, that's not even a thing. I cast the black side because I forgot what the white side did. Yeah. yeah, it's just far too much going. I, I think it's definitely to go back to that whole MDFC's time that the world gave. I think just Zendikar did it spot on. I I, I really liked how they did it in in Zendikar Horizon. Like having yeah. spell on one side, land on the other. Because that's easy. It's never going to be a dead card in your hand. Yeah. Yeah. Great. And you know what a land is. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Cool. And then the final lesson here from Strixhaven was that the set treated American schools too much as the norm. Yeah, I don't care about that. Yeah. I'm fine. Yeah, same. Like, sure, like, interesting. Also, I'm a millennial who spends most of their life on the internet, so I'm very aware of what American culture is like and yeah. whatever, but maybe like certain European schools are very, very different. I imagine APAC schools are probably quite different as well. Yeah. So sure. But like I've had uh, what America, the American school system jammed down my throat that I could tell you more about it in the British schooling system at this point. Oh well, yeah, so I, 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 I it was quite funny it. how the so the headline from that bit is is the set treated American schools too much as the norm. But then in his little explanation, Marrow goes on to say that instru- interestingly, some of the things we used were not based on American schools but British schools because the magical st- school trope has its origin in British schooling. So Wait, yeah, what, I don't know what part of it was based on British schools. I have no idea. Does Mario think no that Hogwarts it, is it, literally what British schools are like? I think just though it's just the fact that he said the, the magical school trope has its origin in, in British schooling. So, so yes, you have like mm. your Harry Potter, but then you also have like your magical magic college that you have in like um, C.S. Lewis's books. Oh uh, yeah, sure. You've got you've got plenty of plenty of that stuff going back. And, I don't know, man. Yeah. Like, well, you, you had then you had like s- s- mascots. Mascots and deans and yeah. Yeah, like that's so American. Also, because most of your market is in North America, 
so you've got to try and appeal to them, and that's fine. Yeah. It's like when they call cards things that sound like funny euphemisms in the UK, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, like, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's funny. But I'm not like, you should make it, you should consider every every country's relation to the, that doesn't matter. <laughs> I mean, maybe some people, like, uh, who have more insight into this than me, but, like, I don't care about this whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. It, it, so, you know, doesn't, doesn't really, didn't really capture my experience at school, and I didn't go to uni, so I can't comment on that bit either, so, you know. <laughs> like, Let's get on a fun bit. I wasn't looking. I wasn't looking for that. I was looking for a, a fun magical school set, and it delivered. So that's fine. Yeah, same, same. Let's move on to the fun set. Next up, we have Modern Horizons Two. Uh, so the highlights is players loved the flavor and mechanical hallmarks. Correct. Those yep. are my always my favorite cards in every set. Yep. Players liked seeing old mechanics get new cards. Absolutely. What did you Yep. Loved it. Storm creature, big fan. Players enjoyed the lighter tone. Uh, was it a light tone? Or oh, squirrels were a thing, wasn't it? It was all squirrels. Oh, they're all silver-boarded. We shouldn't have script shut up. Yeah. Yeah, I I guess it. No, I, I yeah. They made more jokes, and people were like, "It looks like a silver-boarded set." Like, no, it just looks like how Magic did fifteen years ago when they were having. Yeah. It seemed like they were having more fun on the cards, trying to rather than trying to be like serious fantasy battle nonsense. Yeah. So I enjoyed that. Yes, I agree. And then, finally, the highlight was that players appreciated having higher complexity. Always. Yep. Always. Yep. For sure. Love it. We've, we've talked about it to death at this point, but Modern Horizons 2 might even just be my favourite magic set of all time. It's it's just fantastic. Yep. Closely followed by Modern Horizons 1. Yeah, closely followed by Modern Horizons 1 and Dominaria. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Absolutely. A set with a lot of you know, slightly higher complexity where everything's reasonably balanced in limited format. Yeah. Yep. No, I agree with all those. Those are all the things I loved about the set as well. Yeah, same. And then the lessons. Contradicting that last one is that there was too much going on. So. Uh, for me, the big brain magic player of nine years, no. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I think, I I think the issue there, I think, is is the you know not every product is for you. This product might not be for you, and this 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 is this, this you know the whole point of Modern Horizons is to have a a higher complexity cards going straight into eternal format set which you know, absolutely is not designed for everybody so yeah i can understand why that this was this was feedback that they got but i i don't think this feedback matters so much yeah i hope this doesn't actually inform their decisions going forward with modern horizons yeah. because they've set the precedent that supplementary sets like master sets uh, like conspiracy and stuff like that are very very complex and that's their point yeah. because they're supplementary sets that aren't for everyone like you said yeah, however, I'm very happy to see that they did include the bit where it says um, this included the various number of treatments we did for booster fun. Yep. Uh, so finding the that right sucked. balance between yeah, finding the right balance of being the highest complexity set we make while being approachable and grokkable is important for us to think about. Correct. So no, they said I that I think future modern rising sets will lead toward being complex, but we can look to avoid unnecessary components that add confusion. So for sure, yeah, hundred percent agree yeah. with that. I, I, I don't need to. You know, I don't want to have to look at like three different like PowerPoint slides to figure out where I can get a card. Like <laughs> yeah, the number of buy lists that we receive where they've listed a certain printing of a card and it's a different printing of that card from the same set. Yeah. And that's a small thing and it's it's someone selling stuff in the secondary market but it still sucks. Yeah, I mean from a from a consumer standpoint, like 
if I if I see like yeah, there was just there was just so much going on. There was there was literally a three slide like presentation that mm-hmm. told you all of the different variants and where to find them. It was still a little confused after that as well. Like if you're just like an oh, average yeah. player thinking, Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna buy this this oh, set booster because there could be uh there could be foil Modern Horizons one cards in there or something. I might get a foil force negation if I buy this set booster. Yeah, or well, we spent literally drop a tenner on a set booster or whatever it is. Or what that. And then just yeah. Turns out not only is it not in the pack also you can't get it in the pack and you just didn't know. And yeah. Well, we yeah, spent when great. that when that graphic came out, we we spent like a half an hour on this Discord call, going yeah. through that like PowerPoint thing and just laughing at it because it's so yeah. absurd. And also, I didn't know up until that point that you couldn't get non-foil old border modernized. Yeah, we didn't know yeah. that. That was literally never explained apart from on this yeah. stupid PowerPoint that you had to send me. Yeah, and I mean, I yeah, I I thought it was just it was just etched foil versions of those cards you get. Uh, I remember telling you on that call, and then yep. we looked at it. It was like, oh no, I'm wrong as well. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's uh, silly. It's, it's way too, too difficult. Silly. There was too much too going. complicated. Yeah, definitely. Uh, another lesson is that some players worried about the impact on the modern format. Uh, no, no, that's not no, that's not a lesson to learn from Modern Horizons too. That's a lesson to learn about the people that play your game and how they don't shut up. Oh, look how look how I mean, banned Urza Saga is right now. Like some players worried about the impact on the modern format. What the the players saying? Oh, it's Commander Horizons. Like, yep, it's, it happens yeah. every time. And I'm sick. Of, I'm sick to death of talking about it. But it happens every yeah. time. They release a set yeah. like this. Everyone goes, "Oh, this isn't very good. They're doing too much." This is a silver border set. This is a this is a Commander set. And then the cards come out, and, and then they everyone plays them because they're the brand new cards. And people like Canister are trying to limit test the set and the format. And those set, those cards do well. Then everyone copies Canister and play those cards so they're overly represented and then the metagame evolves and those cards are no longer that good anymore and it stops and everyone shuts up and it goes and complains about the next set but it looks like to Watsy oh shit we should be doing something different we shouldn't be pushing the power level of these cards like it doesn't matter people just do that regardless people always talk about how cards are busted how modern's going to be broken how modern horizons 2 is, is too good it's just the same cycle every 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 time yeah totally and it's frustrating totally. and then the final point is that there was too much stuff for Commander, and also not enough stuff for Commander. Great. <laughs> Thanks, Mark. It says it all. Just yeah. It says interestingly, I got contradictory feedback on this point. Some players feel since Modern is in the set's name, it's supposed to focus more on Modern. Others feel since Commander is currently the most played format, that all sets should be made aware of what they could add to Commander. I think the sweet spot of this product is somewhere in the middle. I think. I agree, Mark. Yeah, I know. I and I I think Modern Horizons to hit that. Pretty much, yeah, hundred percent. I think it, it was you had your Chatterfang, you had your stupid legendary creatures, you had your cards that are good in Commander, like your Esper Sentinel and stuff. But some of yeah. those cards bridge the gap to, to modern. The Esper Sentinel does see some playing constructed formats. Um, it was fun because it was, it was a little bit like Commander, which is the lighter tone, I guess they were talking about. Um, and then it also has shaken up the modern format. So it looks nothing like it did, uh, and legacy and vintage, and yeah, <laughs> yeah, yep. It's it's ridiculous. It's like it's because people focus too much on the things they don't like. Well, that's Magic players as generally as it's just people. Yeah, just people. Just <laughs> yeah, do that. Sure. It's like I, I, it's just annoying. It's like oh, this is too much like Commander. It's like okay, but you've got Ragavan and Dragon Rage Chandler and Murtad Region and Esper Sentinel and Prismatic Ending and Urza Saga. It's like okay, so. 
they put into commander cards, and then the commander players are like, I don't like constructor cards. I don't fucking buy Modern Horizons, then you dickhead. <laughs> um, yeah. And also, I'm sick of them trying to pump out cards for commander because the format is just homogenized and kind of boring now. Um, I'm sick of them designing for commander. They need to give it a rest for a couple of years, I think. But yeah, magic players complain. That's your big lesson. Magic players. Complain. Yeah, well, the, yeah, the big lesson. I think too much, stu- too much stuff for commander, but also not enough stuff. For yeah, commander. I think, like, I think <laughs> the thing with, with this is just like this is probably Morrow really scraping the bottom of the barrel for lessons. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think in the, regards to Modern Horizons two, I this think this set yeah. was a home run. I absolutely love the set. I'm really excited yep. for Modern Horizons three, four, five, six. Um, everything was great in the set, apart from <laughs> the booster fun. Um, yeah, apart from booster fun, apart from it costs like a million pounds for a booster pack, and you know the artificial scarcity of of key game pieces. Yeah, I think I think it does have its genuine genuine criticisms and and, and feedback. But I think like too much stuff for commander or not enough stuff for commander is definitely not a bit of valid criticism yeah but the the first one like the, there is too much going on is a criticism i have of literally every watsy product at this point yeah uh, sometimes worried about the uh, the impact on modern is bullshit and too much stuff for commander and not enough stuff for commander yeah. is bullshit so <laughs> i i honestly modern horizon 2 is the best set this year by uh, a lot yeah for I me agree. personally and then the final one is dungeons and dragons adventures in the forgotten realms Highlights: Players enjoyed the execution of adapting Dungeons and Dragons to Magic cards. Yep. Players liked the use of flavor words, which I loved. That I really, really loved. That was my favorite thing about the set. And to like, be honest. Like four really, really loud people on Twitter didn't. Yeah. Uh, and then we added some cool things to white. That was another fl- highlight. Uh, did you? Did you? Um. Portable holes, good. Not for commander. That's what he specifically says. Expand white's part of the colour pie to help it in the commander format. Yeah, several new things premiered in Adventures in the Forgotten Realms. Players seem very excited by it. I can promise there's more coming. Good, cool, that's fine. I yeah. that. And then the lessons. Uh, the set created very polar responses. So it says, all my highlights were also the source of complaints. So some players don't like us making magic cards set in other properties. Some players weren't happy with which cards we chose or didn't choose. Uh, biggest single complaint in the category was where's Elminster. Some didn't like how we executed certain cards. The biggest complaint was in the category was the Tarasks. It didn't feel like they captured its essence. Some players didn't like the use of flavor words. Uh, others didn't like the meta D&D references, such as choosing, choosing wrath cards. Others didn't like to see die rolling come back to Black Border, although others very much did enjoy it. Yeah, so while the set was much beloved by many, it was more polarizing than most sets. Yeah, I really haven't seen this in conjunction with the Modern Horizons ones. I think Mario just needs to disregard everyone who's just complaining about everything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when, when when you have like, if it's like literally fifty fifty, of like some people love these things and hate these things, side with the loved. It's much easier. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, it's engagement either way, isn't it? The people who hate it are going to engage with it. They're going to make the product more visible, and the people that love it are gonna buy it so I mean the people that hate it are gonna buy it as well they're just not gonna be happy temporarily while they do so like. I love the specifically ter- the Tarask thing isn't the Tarask just meant to be like a big thing that's nearly impossible to kill yeah and isn't that what the card dies does? to doom blows. no no it's it's very it's incredibly easy to kill I think was the, the issue was that just it didn't it yeah didn't it dies really, to it didn't really do enough it dies to doom blows plus a hundred mana <laughs> Right. Yeah, that's it. I think. Yeah, it, it was like Ward Ten. I think it was. Yeah, if it was cast Ward Ten, and that's fine. So if you try and reanimate, that's a good way to do it. Like if, if Grizzlebrand had 
the abilities it did if it was cast, that would be fine. But if it's random, yeah, it's it just the fact that it was it was nine mana ten ten. Like it has haste and ward ten as long as it was cast. Whenever it attacks, it fights target creature defending player controls. That sounds like, like a big undefeatable monster to me in terms of magic, doesn't it? Yeah, it really doesn't to to me for for nine mana. Like I don't know. Compare this to any of the Eldrazi, and like it just just does not feel very good. Sure. And also the fact that it's not seeing any constructor play at all because it's not as good as Bone Crusher Giant. Like <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, sure. I think that the specifically calling on the Tarask there is kind of funny. Yeah, I think just because there was a lot of a lot of criticism about it because of its legendary status within D and D. Like yeah, maybe I don't know. Tarask should have been it. Yeah, it should it should be one of those things that it hits the board, it's unbeatable, whereas yeah, it is not. Sure. Uh yeah, and next up we had some players wanted to see flavorful returning mechanics. So another big complaint from players who want to see more established magic mechanic mechanics with the right flavour being used. Uh, the mechanic most referenced in the feedback was party, but many other mechanics like level up or adventure were mentioned. Which yeah, I uh I fully agree with. I, I don't. I feel like part like when party was, was previewed. Um, so it was when we had like the Zendikar Ryzen, I guess preview stream was when they sort of went and sort of previewed the rest of the year as well and said that D and D was coming. Everybody jumped on straight away. Oh, party party mechanic. That's going to be D and D, and then it just wasn't at all. Yeah, so I that think was definitely one that stood out as strange to me. I think maybe something got changed at some point. Uh, maybe, I don't know, yeah. it, reads, it reads to me like Party was meant for D&D but they had too much stuff to put in and then Zedekar yeah. had very little so they could just jam it in there and it still kind of worked with the adventure set yeah quite possibly yeah. yeah I guess it doesn't help that those two sets like philosophy wise are very similar yeah. it's about adventuring right they're both just yeah. about adventuring so definitely yeah, but despite that there's no crossover like, to, yeah. I think I think level up kind of was used in like the the classes. Yeah, I was about to say like, that's... The, the the classes are level up, right? Yeah. They're a cool yeah. new innovation on literally the level up mechanic and they work for the class cards, like and in terms of D and D flavour that works as well. So Yeah. And then adventure is sure. In my opinion adventure is awful. I don't ever want to see it in magic again but <laughs> Correct. Correct. There we go. <laughs> and we had we had Venture, which we is We had close. Venture though, exactly, which Very is close. is cooler I think. Like it's better. Yeah. It's a better way to do free spells because they're not actual spells. They're just yeah. sometimes it's a thing you can trigger and you get an additional thing for it. Yeah, for sure. Which is better than Bone Crusher Giant. Yeah. Or Brazamora. Yeah. Ooh. And then finally, the mixing flavor words and ability words was confusing. Uh, so. It was confusing for me for the first like twenty minutes, um, and I imagine for newer players, it looks like an absolute clusterfuck. <laughs> Yeah, I I really don't. I think, I think honestly, I think new players, actual new players, I don't think it would have been an issue at all, really. Yeah, I, I yeah. think experienced players like us, I think, not an issue at all. We can appreciate the flavour of it. If you're into it, that's cool. I think it's just the gulf of people in the middle, and like more casual players who are used to seeing abilities written in a specific yeah, way. For sure, I think that's where it. it appears to be confusing so yeah so he said that it was a complaint was that mixing flavor words and ability words was confusing and that uh was a good note and i think they're going to be much more careful about that in the future which i i think is a shame to be honest because i really liked it like specifically for the D D set i thought it was really cool it was a really thematic way to 
just to transfer like the actual mechanics of playing Dungeons and Dragons into into a card game. So I I would I'd love to see it. We we talked about it, the using it in like Universe of Beyond, like seeing that for like the the Warhammer Forty K cards would have been really cool. But yeah. I think maybe we won't at this point, which which is a shame. Yeah, it's I agree. So that was the uh, the lessons and the uh, yeah so the good lessons, the highlights and the lessons from the past year of Magic. It was certainly a time, wasn't it? it was certainly a time. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I think. I think the good, the 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 good outweighs the bad. Yeah, I think so. I think I think, I think with everything we have to take have to take everything with a bit of pinch of salt because a lot of the ways everybody engaged with magic was just completely different over the past year than it ever has been before. Couple that with there were a lot of a lot of polarizing things, and I think it's it's very interesting how like what do you do with polarizing feedback if you get you know close to half the people saying oh we love this this is the best thing ever and close to half the rest of the people going oh we don't like this don't ever do this again you know it'll be interesting to see what they do with, with that going forward and what they take yeah. on and what they learn from you know, which bits they listen to which bits they don't but i think overall it was a it was a very it was a very very good year it was obviously a very successful year for was the coast and hasbro and I think it's it's probably just the sign of sign of things to come in uh, in many terms. Yeah, I mean, I I am looking forward to doing a, a twenty twenty one retrospective in general. Yeah, come December. Um, but I mean, a lot of my a lot of my both criticisms and and praise have been addressed in this article. I think, and yeah, as always, Mara continues to be uh, an eloquent, articulate, and very intelligent man. Yeah, definitely, definitely does not. Yeah, magic players don't deserve him, and he doesn't 100%. deserve what he gets from magic players. Yep. I completely agree. God yep. bless that man. And on that note, that's pretty much all we have time for this week. Come let us know your opinions on the, the state of the uh, State of Magic 2021 article. Hit us up on social media. On Twitter, we are at hfdcast, facebook.com slash hfdcast, if you want to catch us on Facebook. Or if you really enjoyed anything in this episode, would like to give back in a monetary value, you can hit us up at Patreon. We are patreon.com slash devastation. Tiers start from as little as $1 per month. That's roughly 20 to 25 cents per episode. This podcast is brought to you by manalink.com. Manalink.com and use the promo code HOFD5 on your order to get 5% off. If you want to find me on my own personal social media, on Twitter, I am at PeachGardenOaf. Facebook, I'm Joe Loudon, and pretty much all of the magic groups. I also stream every Friday night on Twitch. We do Friday Night Magic. We do a whole host of things. We're playing a lot of different cubes at the moment. It's been a load of fun. Uh, yeah, twitch.tv slash peachgardenoaf. Come, come give me a follow. You can find me on Twitter at sneal69. Nice. There's too much going on, isn't there? There's a lot. I feel yeah. like I feel sort of a self-imposed burden to have a take on everything. And I'm just tired. Yeah, I feel like for what so little is going on in my daily life, there was a lot going on outside of that. Yeah. It's a time. Yeah, it's just that one one atrocity ends, another begins. Um, uh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> and on that note, yeah. all we have time for this week. Once again, we're approaching the second hour. The God Pharaoh has returned. We'll see you again next week on Hour of Devastation.